Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do they really know? Look at things from a different angle and try and bring things together in a different way. My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. Last time we talked about Help being a somewhat forgotten Beatles album. And the, the flip side of that is the album Magical Mystery Tour, which is another Beatles soundtrack which often invariably is overlooked when people start putting together their favourite albums of all time and their favourite Beatle albums of all time. Um, Magical Mystery Tour, Stephen, does it deserve its place on the Hall of Fame? It's a bit of a Frankenstein album. It is a bit of a Frankenstein album, and uh, is it an album or is it a double EP? What is a double EP? Are there any... I don't know any other double EPs. No. No. That's uh, I can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Magical Mystery Tour came out at the end of 1967, so it came out on the 8th of December 1967, in the UK as a double EP of six songs and it came out a week earlier in the USA on the 27th of November as an LP of 11 songs and today we know um, the Magical Mystery Tour as an LP not as a double EP it is the only LP in the Beatles catalogue that has been folded into the standard Beatles album uh, list that's right Uh, in America uh, Capital tended to make these Frankenstein albums, particularly in the early part of the Beatles' uh, career. So in the UK, the standard running order was 14 songs. In America, the standard running order was 12 songs. Uh, The UK iterations tended not to include singles. Uh, Capital uh, would put together uh, these, as you say, Frankenstein albums made up of uh, offcuts from UK albums, singles. Uh, for example, you were saying last time, Help was the fifth Beatles album in America. It was the tenth yeah. uh, Beatles album. So, uh, also the the concept of an EP was pretty much unknown in yeah. in, in the states. Uh, so, Capital did what they always do, which was uh, bring songs together from various sources. And as you say, it's the only time that Capital did that where the uh, configuration was subsequently adopted as official canon. So there are so many strange things about this album. Uh, As a child of the Beatles CDs of the late 80s, I have to say I probably listened to this album so much because it's got Strawberry Fields on it and Penny Lane on it and All You Need Is Love on it. And it's just a fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic record. But it is curious that the soundtracks in the USA had all this incidental music. And the soundtracks in the UK had all these bonus tracks. And for Magical Mystery Tour, it kind of follows the UK model of putting all these bonus tracks on the the, the B-side that you can debate whether or not they, they, they do or don't uh, belong there. Um, 
And I think we talked about this on the Help podcast as well, but it's also probably the opinion of the album is informed by the quality of the associated movie. I think so. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think everyone will know that Magical Mystery Tour, which came out as a television show, was almost universally panned on its uh, on its release. And uh, yes, I think it suffers because of that. It suffers because of the different formats. Mm. And the context of it, it's a very... The Beatles on the 1st of June 1967 had put out Sgt. Pepper. This was a massive worldwide phenomenon. Everybody wondered what they would do next. A few weeks later, they sang All You Need Is Love on the world's first television satellite broadcast. And then towards the end of 1967, uh, there's a couple of really seismic changes. And while they're away getting under the feet of the Maharishi for the first time, Brian Epstein dies. And that's a massive change. I think all that that context is very important, um, particularly Pepper, uh, because it was so universally acclaimed. It was it was such a, a sort of towering achievement. Um, we maybe talk about Pepper in detail. I'm sure we'll talk about Pepper in detail yeah. uh, on a future episode. But my uh, take on Pepper is that really it marks the high watermark of the universal popularity of the Beatles that um, this was an album that had something for everybody you had songs for the mums and dads for the grannies for the kids for the hipster uh, proto hippies of of the day Uh, it was hugely anticipated and universally acclaimed and this was absolutely the kind of cross-generational high watermark of their appeal after Pepper in that sense their audience starts to fragment. Um, the Beatles are fragmenting. So, for example, in 1967, I think in the UK, there were maybe five number one albums across the year. I, I'm, I'm prepared to be corrected on that if anyone would like to get in touch. Um, uh, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper was one. Two albums by the Monkees. The Monkees and... A great group. <laughs> and more of the Monkees. So, suddenly, you had these other bands that were catering to the sort of younger audience mm-hmm. the you know uh, the younger brothers and sisters weren't interested in the Beatles I they think Val Dunigan knocked the Beatles Val off Dunigan, I think that was the, the, the other so um, so so this was the last time I, I think uh, that there was that cross-generational appeal uh, after Pepper things started to get a little bit odd Mm. Uh, the Beatles started to get a little bit weird. Mm. The mums and dads, it wasn't just the long hair. There were drugs. There were uh, the Maharishi. Yoko makes an appearance in, in, in late 67, early 68. But also for the first time, they start wasting time. Uh, like the, on the day Pepper comes out, they, they go into the studio for the whole day and do nothing. to do hours of jamming that I don't, I don't think has been bootlegged, but is apparently noiseless, kind of useless kind yeah. of jamming. Uh, and, and, and it's all a bit, aside from Epstein dying, but even before Epstein dying, it was getting quite chaotic. They weren't really getting much done. There was so much effort to get Pepper over the line. It, it's it, Yes, it, I, th- I, 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 think, I think that's right. Um, I think it's so interesting. A lot, a lot of times when you look at Beatle histories, people kind of break it down year by year. This was 66, this was 67, this was 68. I think it's always interesting to kind of skew things a little bit and say, well, look, what did they do from summer 66 to summer 67? What did they do from summer 67 to 68? Summer 67 to summer 68 is a really kind of aimless time, whereas from summer 68 to summer 69, they're recording copious amounts of material. I think I think a lot had changed. I think there was such effort in getting Pepper over the line. Mm. Uh, One of the last things that that Epstein had done was commit them to writing a song for the Our World uh, satellite 
broadcast. Uh, he did that without telling them. Uh, so he committed them to writing a song that's going to be broadcast live to you know tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people across 24 countries, and then said, okay, can you go away and write <laughs> write a song? Um, so they they were under a lot of pressure uh, to do that. Once they got that out of the way, um, even before they got that out of the way, they were working on Magical Mystery Tour. Yes, uh, they recorded the introductory title track and the intention was to pursue that so they had that mapped out then Epstein dies mm. um, they almost immediately reconvene and decide we've got to go ahead with this but as you say during that period normally what the Beatles did was they broke from a tour they were told you've got an album to do or we need a single and they recorded for specific purposes mm-hmm. between Pepper and them reconvening after Epstein's death, they were recording without a goal, without a specific album, without a specific project. Um, And I think that was different. The other thing that was different was the drugs that Mm. were kicking in. So if you're on acid and you're sitting for seven hours jamming, you probably think it's great. It's the next day when the acid's worn off and you're listening to the playback and you kind of realize, well, perhaps it's not so great. Yeah. Um, and they'd started coming to the studio not with pre-written songs, but with vague ideas. Magical yeah. Mystery Tour itself, supposedly McCartney turns up with one line, roll up for the Magical Mystery yes. Tour, a couple of chords, and they spend the day working up the, uh, the, the bare bones of the song. The and horn players come in, they don't have a score. Yeah. And uh, normally George Martin would write the score. One of the horn players took it on himself to write the score and they kind of went, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what we we <laughs> were thinking of. So so it's a different, It's it, there's an aimless yes. quality. Well, famously, Paul, and I'm using air quotes here, folks, wrote the movie by drawing this big circle, which he divided in like a, divided up like a, almost like a trivial pursuit piece. Mm. And in each little wedge, he decided what each bit of the movie should be. And obviously that's how all the best movies are made. I think that goes you know, without I think saying. I think, I think we that's, know that, yeah. I think that's how Close Encounters was written. And uh, and within each little wedge, they went off to, to film it. But it is, I, I know we're kind of saying here that, oh, they weren't getting much done. And yet somehow the first week in September, they decide to make a movie which is on television by the end of December with half a dozen new songs. I mean, if that's lazy, may we all be so yeah. lazy. But it's, it's lazy by their own standards in a way. It's lazy by their own standards, but there is still, I think, a sort of aimless quality. I think, I think st- things started to coalesce around the movie, but they... they by the time uh, late summer, when they're, they're September, when they're back focusing on the movie, they've already got maybe half a dozen songs that they don't use yeah. sitting in the can, yeah. um, uh, but recorded and just sitting there because there isn't an album to put them on. There isn't a specific project. They're yeah. not songs that lend themselves. They're not poppy singles. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're stockpiling, but to no real yeah. purpose, I think. I mean, the last time I watched Magical Mystery Tour was about two months ago because uh, I finally got my hands on the Blu-ray. And it's obviously great as a historical artefact and I'm the walrus is great as well, but it's it's very it's it's very poor and very scrappy. And I think it's the first instance of that thing where the Beatles had kind of grown used to the notion that everything they do is fantastic. So just the next thing they do will be fantastic. And you start to see cracks and maybe it's a, a bit of a Paulism, you know, where <laughs> whatever I do, it's worth listening to. It's worth playing out. I think, I, I mean, to be fair to Paul, which is, is something I don't do often. Yeah. Uh, to be fair to Paul, I, th- I think that that general sense of, yeah, we can do anything. Yes. 
was was pretty all pervasive throughout the band at this stage. That it, it, it they were embracing. If you read uh, Ian McDonald's book Revolution in the Head, he 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 describes them as messing about in the studio, <laughs> and they're embracing random yes. uh, circumstances. There, this idea of uh, uh, chance. If there's a ha- every every accident is a happy accident, and you you know if you make a mistake, you should just let leave that in. Um, the, the the sort of very rigorous standards that they had set for themselves leading up to and including Pepper, I think, had started to slip away and they had become slightly intoxicated by this notion that, yeah, we can make great albums, so therefore we must be able to make a great movie or a great mm-hmm. TV show. Um, and I think Magical Mystery Tour, I'm I'm slightly fonder of it perhaps than, than, than you are. I, I think I can see the seeds of something great there that I think if they had had an, a, an editor or a director, yeah. I think it could have been pulled together. It, it's it's almost like raw footage that needs someone to, to mold it into something. But it's I Am The Walrus. It's uh, Fool On The Hill. It's got, so got some great set pieces. Mm. And um, again, perhaps uh, in, a, in another episode, we'll, we'll talk more about the movie. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, if you're being kind, you can say it's a prototype video album, kind of, so to speak, you know, these days. It is, and I think it, it's pre-Python. Yes, and Steven Spielberg was influenced, as Paul tells us. Well, I, I don't know if people will have seen it, but the, the, <laughs> the Jesse's Dream sequence where uh, John Lennon is shoveling spaghetti onto the plate of this enormously fat woman, if that's not prototype for Mr. Creosote that is true, yeah. in Life at Brian, yeah. I don't know what is. Um, now, one thing I love about the Magical Mystery Tour when it came out, so it was released originally in the UK, as we said, as this double EP. So two seven-inch records with three songs on each uh, record. And they also put out a single at the same time for no particular reason, which yeah. just seems like the dumbest. No, it's a great idea. But they thought not only are we going to put out this EP, we're going to put out Hello Goodbye as a single. And so for Christmas 67, Hello Goodbye is sitting at number one. And a totally different set of songs called The Magical Mystery Tour is sitting at number two, which is yeah. doesn't really make any sense it, in it, our it modern world of, uh, you know. No, you can't think of any other band that w- would do it. You don't put out product that's going to compete with your own product. But, um, although I will give a... I, 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 this is totally off message, but the fact that Ariana Grande put six months between two albums is a, is a nod to our 60s heroes, that she's able to go from one number one to another. I think that's a no I, I, that's the only time I, she'll probably I, I, be mentioned yeah here. <laughs> I was gonna say I wasn't I was expecting that that's uh I, I I who is this Ariana Grande oh come on um but yeah uh, and the Beatles listening to the Magical Mystery Tour as an EP is actually a different thing to listening to it as an album first of all the running order is different yes and so you you flip the the first EP over and you get I'm the Walrus as yep. the first side on side B and if you actually get your hands on a copy of the original mono EP and listen to I Am The Walrus, it's one of those tracks where you're like, wow, uh, uh, listening to this in December 1967 without having seen the TV visuals or without having heard it before, it's very strange. It's very strange. I think the whole the whole EP is comprised of odd songs, yeah. but, but Walrus is probably uh, one of the most peculiar tracks they ever recorded um one of the greatest tracks they ever recorded but yeah I, I i find it difficult to put myself in the position of of what it must have been like yeah. I, either as a as a 10 or 11 year old buying the latest beatles record or you know the parents or grandparents listening to it on the radio or well it was actually it was, it was banned by the bbc for using the word knickers yeah uh, subversive in the extreme <laughs> um well the first beatles recording i was given as a kid as an eight-year-old was the real music compilation a long forgotten compilation classic 
and I'm the walrus the first time I heard it scared the bejesus out of me and how old were you at that I was stage? eight and your parents were giving you I am the walrus yeah well you know they and look right look at me now look at you now. they knew what they were doing yeah they, they were they were plugged in yeah you know um but uh yeah but it's it, one of the things i did was to try and you know once again my love of jiggling running orders is to put the ep running order which is different to the album running order <laughs> we should point out this is going to be a recurring theme <laughs> jason re reworking which correcting perfecting exactly perfecting the running order that i, uh, that I should have been tapped on the shoulder because it goes magical mystery tour your mother should know i'm the walrus then the fool on the hill flying and blue jay way is the order of the ep mm -hmm. so you'd be ending side one with blue jay way but you've talked to me before about how hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Magical Mystery Tour is like this dark, evil Sgt. Pepper flip side. Yes, I, 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 I think uh, one of the themes that runs through uh, Pepper and extends back to Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, which sort of date from... So really the, the recordings they're making from late 66 all the way through to the middle of 67, it's this sort of nostalgic uh, look back um, at, at their childhood um, and it's all bright and it's summery and it, it's, it's, it's looked back with fondness then suddenly the flip side of that, there is a nostalgic element to, um, to, to, the, to, to the songs on the EP in Mystery Tour, but it's quite dark, it's mm. unsettling, it's like a kind of fever dream. Uh, particularly, uh, I mean, I would say Blue Jay Way is one of the kind of trippiest songs they ever recorded. Um, I'm not sure that it's a great song, but they, they load it up with phasing and uh, peculiar psychedelic effects, production techniques. Uh, and I think there is a, there is a darkness to, yeah. to, to the EP. Um, there, there's a very interesting article on Pitchfork uh, and they say one of the, um, a review, and they say one of the, one of the interesting things about the EP is it, 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 because of the format, it meant the Beatles weren't having to produce a poppy hit single uh, nor were they having to make a grand statement. And they were also an putting album. out a separate poppy hit single, Hello yeah. Goodbye, if you wanted, that kind of thing. So so this is this is not, they're not under pressure. Mm. And it, it sits consistently with this slightly random messing about, indulgent, if you like. Yeah. Uh, but there is a darkness, and I think a lot of that darkness is informed by Epstein's death. Yeah. So Walrus is recorded, is the first song they record after his 
there. Mm. Um, and Lennon is singing in, in, in a way, his voice is very raw. You know, you, you can see that the, the needles would have been peaking. There's a lot of distortion on, on, on the voice. One of the songs, the two songs they recorded before Epstein's death were Magical Mystery Tour, which is quite up, quite yeah. poppy, sets the scene, and Your Mother Should Know. Yes. Uh, the songs that come after, Flying, I Am the Walrus, Blue Jay Way, these are the darker songs. So I think there's a, there's a huge shift from that sort of June period with All You Need Is Love into the back end of the year with these darker songs. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I was thinking about you saying that, I think there's uh, there's something about Magical Mystery Tour. And I have a theory about this, as I, as I want to have theories, is that it, it's if it is a flip side of the 1967 experience, you could almost say it's the American 1967 experience. So Sgt. Pepper is quite British in terms of its, you know, kind of look back on childhood and all the rest. By the time we get to the end of 1967, the Beatles have, they were, they spent, some of them spent some of summer of 1967 over there. George Harrison famously went to Haight-Asbury and mm. had a problem with what he saw. He felt it was just people on drugs, people who were homeless, and his, his kind of acid experience came to an end. And even though Magical Mystery Tours are this kind of British phenomenon, it's based on the, the Merry Pranksters kind of acid trip, American type of experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 1967, American, the hippie dream is wrapped up in Vietnam. It is a, a darker thing than what was being experienced in the Austin Powers Carnaby Street of the uh, of London town. I think that I think that's true. But, but, but the other thing you have to remember is that the back end of 67 in in London, mm. it was the start of the drug busts. It was the start of, uh, it was almost as if the authorities in uh, in Britain had looked across at America and, and they'd seen, you know, with the effect of these, uh, these hippies, this drug culture, and they had started to clamp down. So you had the stones being busted for the first time. Uh, there, there, was a, there was a sense that the summer was over. Mm. Uh, so uh, by, by September, October, by the back end of the year, summer was gone literally yep. figuratively uh something darker had set in because satanic majesties came out from the rolling stones in november was it yes late, yeah um and I, I have to admit just while you were talking about blue jay way i've always found it jarring that blue jay way mentions la it's it always seems strange to me that a beatles song kind of just out of the blue says yeah i'm in la you think no 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 no. that's not that's not you should be in <laughs> camden high street or carnaby street yeah you should be doing some some kind of thing that always seemed strange so, in 1967, uh, in February 1967, the Beatles put out Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. In July, after Our World, they put out uh, All You Need Is Love, Back With Baby, You're a Rich Man. And these are four of the songs on the B-side of the American uh, Magical Mystery Tour album that comes out in November. And they add in the contemporaneous single, Hello, Goodbye. Um, it's hard to argue with those five songs from a quality point of view, really. It is. It, it is. I mean, I think, I think what, what the Americans got was a greatest hits mm. album except the first side doesn't contain any <laughs> hits <laughs> yes. um but but yes it's it, it again individual songs you cannot fault them yeah uh you you can't particularly on the second side i mean you, you know i have no issue with uh, the, yeah. so, the individual songs i think uh, for me there is however a huge disparity between the the the, the sense of that that dark 
undercurrent on the first side, mm. and then the second side has uh, is really referring right back to the start of 1967. Well, and that's the thing. You've a load of pre-Pepper yeah. material coming out on a post-Pepper yeah. album, which yeah. just doesn't. Uh, and I mean, some some people, uh, uh, you know, people will say, "Oh, it's my favorite album." Yes, and I think, I, well, it. I suspect it contains some of your favorite songs. Yes. But I don't know that Blue Jay Way is anybody's favorite mm. song. And you say that as a George man. I do say that as a George really? man. That, that uh, um, you know, Fool on the Hill is not a great song as far as I'm concerned. But uh, there's I, something, I, I always felt a Fool on the Hill, uh, uh, there's something, I remember Paul saying when he was recording Penny Lane, he said to George Martin he wanted it to be clean. And the fool on the hill is cut from the same cloth. It's really clean. There's something, yeah. It's and it's very, uh, you know, in terms of uh, if you listen to how it's recorded and and the the notes, it's really kind of tart, almost audially sp- audi- from an audio point of view. Yeah, I, I I don't think, with the exception of Eye on the Walrus, I'm not sure that the first, that the that the EP, mm. the soundtrack, uh, actually contains anybody's favorite, yes, Beatles song. Yeah, uh, you know, flying the instrumental, a little bit of a, a, a just a padding yeah there um i think the interesting thing to me is why i am the walrus ends up on the b side of hello goodbye so it's sitting at number one yes at the same time as it's on the ep that's sitting at number two yep um where they had other songs that they could have uh, uh put on the b side of hello goodbye yeah um th- the other thing is if you if you th- it seems to me there's a direct comparison between the single at the start of of 67 late 66 which is strawberry fields penny lane Mm -hmm. so penny lane corresponds to hello goodbye strawberry fields corresponds to i am the walrus okay you know so everyone says oh penny lane strawberry fields the greatest single ever made yeah hello goodbye paul becomes more sort of trite Mm-hmm. more innocuous more bland it's still very poppy but the lyric is just you know yes no hello goodbye yeah strawberry fields great song by i am the walrus john is becoming more obtuse more deliberately obscure mm. so th- those two singles seem to me to be direct uh very very much working in parallel yeah so you, you touched upon there that they had some material hiding or some material in the bag and something I was wondering about in the, in the run to this podcast was, well, if somebody had said to the Beatles in, you know, October 67, OK, you've got these six songs for an EP. Could you dust up a bunch of tracks and give us a proper album? So it would follow in the true lineage of like Hard Day's yep. Night and Help, where you've got a, a flip side of non-movie songs. Uh, there actually is enough stuff knocking around that they could have turned out a very interesting different type of magical mystery tour so there is do you have a list would you be amazed to find out that i have a list uh, well a playlist? I, I, I can hardly believe and it and maybe i can tweet this out to the youngsters a spotify link of my amended magical mystery tour um but the songs that they had in the can at the time that were either finished or you know good enough to finished was if you have an alternate b-side of magical mystery tour of songs from that era you'd start the b-side with only a northern song Mm-hmm. Then you go to Hello Goodbye, because that's recorded at the same yep. time, same sessions. Um, then You Know My Name, Look Up the Number. And if I had a choice, I would choose the Anthology 3 stereo version with the ska section. Okay. Which is everyone's favorite version. I think you'd have to agree. I think I think we all agree. The more of that song, the better. We're I amongst think. friends here. I yeah. think that's, that's, that's kind of the, uh, our audience would know that. And, uh, and then you finish with It's All Too Much. The long version. The long version. And those four songs together 
are longer than the five songs that make up the B side. I can't argue with that. That would give you an album with three George Harrison songs. And there you go, like Revolver, all the best Beatles, all the best three George songs. So, uh, and I think that might, you know, if if you know, one of the things we're looking at is why is this album not held high as an album? I think an alternate version which says, well, this is a more cohesive statement of late '67 with those songs, and the B side is a more interesting prospect. I think I think it's a, it certainly would be a more interesting album. It would be less schizophrenic, and mm. I I think uh, the, the the second side of the original configuration is the supplement to Pepper. Uh, the first side is the darker side. I think your 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 uh, amended running order uh, would work. What I would put, <laughs> put forward as an alternative is a, a proper soundtrack um, okay. album. So you've got the songs that are, are on the EP, uh, plus you have other music from uh, the film. So the Bonzo Dog Duda Band mm-hmm. appear in the film singing Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, you had Traffic singing Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush, which was cut. Yeah. Uh, but I think you could, from the film, but I think you could include that. There are three pieces of incidental music recorded by the Beatles. Uh, uh, Shirley's Wild Accordion, <laughs> which is that it does just what it says on the tin. Mm. I assume I haven't heard it. Um, Jesse's Dream. Yes. And, and there uh, is versions of that on YouTube there, that there people are, can listen to. There, there are versions of that. And uh, then there's an instrument. Again, I haven't heard this, just simply called The Bus. Uh, which is another Beatles-themed instrumental. And for good measure, we could have something by Ivor Cutler. Because Mm. again, he, uh, as I understand it, uh, did a scene for the movie which didn't quite make the movie. Yeah, so I think I think that would be an interesting. There's a longer version of Flying as well. There's a nine-minute. There's a nine-minute version of Flying. Well, that sounds like with saxophone tacked on the end. So I have not heard that. You've heard that. I have not heard that, but I have read. Mark Lewison's <laughs> book in which he describes it. Um, yeah, and I think that would be an interesting prospect as well, and that would be kind of more in keeping with the incidental music version of the Beatles soundtrack. I think so. So if, if, if anyone from Apple is listening and, and uh, would like us to compile something for the 55th anniversary of yes. Magical Mystery Tour. We, we, we are open to dropping everything at any point in time to be an archivist of any stripe for anybody involved in uh, the Apple organisation. I think something we touched upon in the Help podcast, which I think is true for the Magical Mystery Tour album, Uh, and its sort of lack of popularity in the greatest albums of all time is this sort of UK-US differential. So when I I was looking up the facts and figures, you know, the the US version wasn't actually released in the UK until 1976. And the original US version had these kind of duophonic fake stereo versions, although it was a top 30 album in early 1968 in the UK based on import alone. I think I bought my copy of the album in 1977. Mm. £3.50. There you go. Did it have the 24-page colour book? It did have the 20-odd-page uh, colour book. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've forgotten the name of the chap that did the cartoons. Yes, but there is a tiny Mike Nesmith hiding uh, there in the I cartoons. Was just about, I was just about to throw that out <laughs> as, 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 a, as a question. Uh, does anybody out there know which of the monkeys? But uh, you've answered it, your own sorry, question. If you, if you look in the background of the cartoons, there's a There'll little... There'll be no giveaway to c- the one lucky winner this week. Considering 67 was peak monkeys, and they were, they were quite... quite heavily in the Beatles orbit that year uh, uh, curiously enough and the, the flip side of that is if you did have an alternate Sgt. Pepper uh, or sorry pardon me an alternate Magical Mystery Tour with those new unreleased songs you know n- on the B side that means Strawberry Fields Forever and co move across to the Past Masters Past compilation Masters. Yeah. and Past Masters as I said as a, a Beatles CD person I loved that album as well. Volume two is just a fantastic record but mm. it, it has this odd bit in Past Masters volume two where it jumps from rain to Lady Madonna and instead, you'd have a run of songs that goes 
uh, Paperback Writer, Rain, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, All You Need Is Love, Rich Man, Hello Goodbye, and then Lady Madonna. So it would be a triple. That would be a fantastic thing to... I'm going to go to the Spotify playlists again. So do you think we've made a case? Once again, we we just hope we can send people back to these songs and have a listen to them again with the... Yeah, I, th- I, 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 th- I think there's a strong case for reevaluating it. Uh, I think probably stronger case for Magical Mystery Tour mm. and for help. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to look at your amended running order. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it's, I would definitely recommend that people uh, uh, go back and, and look at it again. Uh, bear in mind uh, the, the period that it covers stretches from late 66 yeah. to late 67. And it, it's almost a, a, a sort of... Uh, anthology of what the Beatles were going through, so you can you can see the shift in mood uh, across uh, across those albums if you look at them chronologically. Yeah, and and crack out a mono version of "I Am the Walrus" on the B side of record one, and when the Mike Sam singers come in, be scared out of your seat. Yeah, I think that's the, probably the best moment. Okay, I think we've c- said most of what we need to say. Any closing remarks? No, I, 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 I think I would send people back to the, the album. Uh, and yes, the mono version of Strawberry Fields, uh, sorry, I Am The Walrus, is, <laughs> is the one to go for. Um, so look, this has been Nothing Is Real. We hope you agree with uh, or have been interested in some of the things we have to say today. If there's any way you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter on at BeatlesPod. So any suggestions, corrections or anything you want us to talk about in the future, um, then we'd be happy to incorporate all of that. Please, if you're enjoying Nothing Is Real, subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or Spotify or whatever it is that you're using. Uh, Please uh, subscribe to us and um, we will see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST+, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.